hopefully before you have to leave us, we can get through all the meat. If not, it's okay. The episode. I'm going to check my privilege and remember it's not about me. <laughs> but you are a vital ingredient. So it is. And I'll, you know, some, some, in some episodes, I am the foundation of the recipe, and in others, just a, just a sprinkling. Sprinkle. Yeah. I'm a salt bay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Murder Husbands, an episode-by-episode deep-dive appreciation of the Brian Fuller-created series, Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Lisa K. Weber, artiste. With me as ever are my beautiful Popsicle co-hosts, Kelly Sue Milano, writer and oracular spectacular. Yes, Hi. <laughs> Justin Penniston, also a writer and hard-boiled fantasist. Hi, Justin. Hi, yeah, I am. <laughs> Claire Thorne, unexpected hobbyist and geeky guide to outer space and apocalyptic events. Claire Thorne. Sometimes those two are the same thing, apocalypses in outer space. So I'm sure that's, that's, <laughs> that would be, that's peak Claire is the end of the world yeah, mm-hmm. in all the world. <laughs> and finally, Fresh off a very hot trip to the most magical place on earth, it's our producer mm. Philip Kelly. Hello. Hello. Good. Uh, good day to anybody who's out there listening. <laughs> um, all right. Before we dig in to our discussion this week, Justin and Kelly Sue will take us through a quick recap of this week's episode. Roti. The Rue Thicket. As Dr. Gideon escapes police custody by slicing up his escort on the way to his hearing, he plans to throw Chilton on the chopping block with an accusation of psychic driving, which led him to falsely claim that he was the Chesapeake Ripper. Uh oh, Frederick. And who does Fancy Fred go to see to soothe his worries? Hannibal, of course, who politely chastises him, saying, in essence, psychic driving is fine so long as the patient doesn't know you're doing it. Meanwhile, Will has a nightmare that his clock dissolves into the water that is currently filling his bed and house, and which he ultimately becomes as he disappears from space-time. But he's fine. Will and Jack survey Gideon's crime scene. His footsteps lead back to Baltimore, and he's hung his victim's organs from neatly tied bows on surrounding branches. Not a ripper move. He'd never let those beauties go to waste. Elsewhere, Freddie Lowndes gets a call from a Dr. Carruthers pitching a Gideon story for Tattle Crime, but oops, it's actually Gideon, and poor Carruthers gets a Colombian necktie before we ever meet him. This prompts the team to assign protective escorts to any psychiatrist who has profiled Gideon, including Alana. It's clear Gideon is peacocking for the Ripper, and as another Colombian necktie shows up, this time missing an arm, a la Miriam Lass, the team begins to see that the Ripper may be pointing them to Gideon. He's probably in the old observatory. And wow, is he, rearranging a conscious Chilton's insides with Freddie Lowndes as an assistant. The BAU pulls up in time for Gideon to flee, but not before Will catches on and hops into Gideon's getaway car, and they both end up at Hannibal's. 
Wilhelm has a wild seizure that Hannibal uses to his advantage like a true gaslight extraordinaire before telling Gideon, who is literally sitting right there, where to find Alana. Hannibal, you hurtful slut. Gideon flees to Alana's house, and when Will wakes up, Hannibal says, I'm worried for Alana. I think she might be next, OMG, LOL, before conveniently leaving Will alone with car keys and a gun. And wouldn't you know it, that crazy with encephalitis prince heads straight for Alana's and puts a bullet in Gideon just in time for her to see him collapse beside Gideon's snowy body. What a journey. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I just have to say that all of these synapses are written by the oracular spectacular Kelly Sue. And if you could see the faces of the rest of us, you know, trying not to laugh. I... Magnifique. Yes. Yes. Chef's kiss, indeed. This was a high point. <laughs> You're really like finding your rhythm with these. I love it. Um, all right, so after that beautiful, gorgeous, stunning synopsis, um, <laughs> let's get to it. Um, so obviously, like from the get-go, we see these visions of Will, um, or Will's visions, um, and he's like such a Pisces because it's all water, it's like melting icebergs, the tsunami on like the totem pole murder beach, and um, then, you know, he melts into his bed um and he even says at one point i feel fluid like i'm spilling oh will um so it seems like very much we're seeing like the edges of his reality are melting away um which hannibal finds beauty in because in his final conversation with um bedelia he says madness can be a medicine for the modern world and he goes on to say a bunch of stuff that's also very watery and also very like um beautiful in its existentialism um <laughs> But all of this is less fun for the person who's actually going through it, whose identity is disintegrating, and that's Will. So let's get Jungian and mm. talk about like his melting persona and what is being revealed underneath that. Can can I get Freudian first before we get I Jungian? Because I just want to confess and, and ask to what degree I should be concerned that these scenes of Will melting um, are the most like bothersome, you know, like like fan myself while I'm watching them kinds of scenes. Like the whole melting in the bed scene was just really, really whew, erotic for me. Like, and then, and that's weird. I, I'm just going to say, I think that's kind of strange. No, um, I don't think it's strange at all because okay, I mean, I'm over here having erotic thoughts about Will all the time. Well, yeah. Like, uh, like while I'm watching the show. So it's like when he's melting and when he's like particularly like wet and sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. That works okay. for me. Thank I you. I again, that... call your attention to the steam. <laughs> yes. Steam in that episode or in that yeah. sequence. Um, it was and... steamy. And also I just need to start the episode or my portion of the episode off with an appreciation of uh, Hugh Dancy's uh, ability to hyperventilate, 
whether he's having a seizure or he's just like really, you know, like early on, I think in the first episode, even after he shoots Garrett Jacob Hobbs and he's having that like hyperventilate, you know, yeah. uh, reaction to it. I also find that extremely hot, yes. <laughs> but I, it's, I also just think that that's kind of peak Hugh Dancy acting as well, because he's so oh, yeah. completely unhinged and it's so physical and, and visceral when he's doing that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, but we really have achieved like peak will unhinged. Oh yeah. In this episode and the acting by Hugh Dancy is just so mm-hmm. so 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 good seconded um, yeah yep yeah okay so i'm just i'm very um so much of it was about you know the the chunk of ice whopping off into the ocean and this giant tidal wave coming to knock down the totem um it was very much me being like <clears throat> you know if water represents our emotions and our depth as humans and our unconscious. It's all of this symbolism of like structures falling down, like the literal structure of his reality just kind of disintegrating into this tumultuous ocean of emotion. Mm, I love that. That Will has, because I mean, Will is, he's got depth. He's a deep well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. think that the things that he used as tethers, like the totem for me was very much like his work with the FBI. All of that is starting to sort of crumble. Mm. And he's like, this is now a freak out. <laughs> yeah. Only just now. <laughs> Hyperventilating. I really, I mean, I, I really, when you say, you know, let's get our Jungian hats on. I mean, that's that's where this episode took me. Mm-hmm. You know, from the very beginning, we see a literal crumbling of the persona as seen with Avalanche and Tsunami. And then he gets broken down to this very, you know, everything he does in this episode is increasingly primal. You know, it's increasingly, yeah. who am I? Kill the monster, save the woman. Like it's all very elemental, creator destroyer, Jungian shadow type stuff, you know? And like he, he's really broken down to that. So, I mean, it can only be deliberate, I think, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah. The... And I, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead, Lisa. I was just going to say, like, to, I was noticing, like, that Will was definitely taking on the role of predator in this episode. Like, when he's, when he's doing his vision quest to see how Abel Gideon escaped the van. And in the last moment, there's like, he crouches in this way, like before the door is open. And he, he it's like you're saying about the, the primal nature of it. It's like, he, he suddenly looks like this, like cat about to pounce, you know? Um, and then it's like when later on, when he sees the vision of um, Garrett Jacob Hobbs, and it's like, I mean, that was technically his first prey, you know? So it's like he's, I was kind I was picking up on that kind of stuff too. So yeah, Philip. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I like the, the, I think it's interesting that when, as people, we all, you know, we lose ourselves, we lose our identity and we reach out to things to kind of 
position us back to who we are. We, we may watch a movie that speaks to us, you know, or something like that. Like I'm kind of losing myself this week. I need to sit down and watch a movie. He is because he's so feeling so attached to serial killers. He's literally reaching out to a serial killer to find out who he is again. That final conversation in this episode that he has with Abel Gideon, where they're relating to each other. He's literally relating to a serial killer that doesn't recognize who he is anymore. And that final moment where, uh, where uh, uh, Gideon says, I'm, if I kill her, maybe I'll find out who I am again. He's, uh, you know, going back to what Justin, Lisa, you were saying, if I kill the monster again, maybe I'll figure out who I am again. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will let me know. He's literally taking the advice of a serial killer because he sees himself as that consistently throughout this show, putting himself in that place. And it doesn't help that, of course, his you know, brain is literally uh, on fire. Um, but I, I found that to be really an intriguing element to this episode. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, to talk about this kind of like near the end moment where um, they go to the the old observatory. <laughs> and um, Jack's like, you know, wait here because something's wrong with your brain or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And whatever. Will, Will looks over and he sees the stag, and the stag essentially leads him to um, Abel Gideon's car. And um, it really, like, it kind of just kind of hit me. I was like, this show is is oftentimes kind of like leaning towards a supernatural element um, because there's some stuff like we talked about in the Angel Maker episode, like that Will is able to like see the visions the same way the angel maker sees visions. And like, there are some things that are, that are just kind of like not so easily explained. And so I kind of wanted to ask you all how you felt about, about this kind of supernatural angle that the show takes. Like, do you believe that there's a supernatural element? Do you think that there's a place for the paranormal in the universe of Hannibal? Or do you think that Will's imagination is just responsible? for all of these things. As the oracular spectacular, I think you know what my thoughts are on this. <laughs> but that's just me. I'm gonna let other people answer. I, I think, oh, go ahead, Justin. I mean, I do think that this sort of mega empathy that Will has, I mean, it's presented as a superpower and I don't think it's a real thing, you know, for mm-hmm. someone to be that empathic. Um, at least not a real documented thing. Let me say that. Um, but in the as far as the rules of the show are concerned, it's it's real and it's there and it's not supernatural. Um, and I believe that in this case, where he's already he's broken down, like his conscious mind isn't really working very well, but his subconscious mind is still there. And his subconscious mind, you know, I mean, he equates the stag to the copycat killer. You know, I think I think we've pretty much seen that there. And I think he is intuiting that. I think that he is, I think his subconscious mind is putting these pieces together pieces together and saying, Oh, the copycat killer is behind this somehow, or is, is at the very least leading me in this direction. And all it takes, I think, are those elements coming together and then seeing convenient footprints in the snow. And he gets to 
Abel Gideon's car, I think. Well, and I think, I think he identifies, he connects the stag is the represent, you know, is obviously the representation of the Chesapeake Ripper. But I think at this point, his identity is so broken down that he is not certain if he is the stag, if someone else is the stag, if, you know, what that is entirely. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't see it as something supernatural, but I do see it as this very real, um, personification of Will's like this other being that, that may or may not reside in Will. And then I think that's what Hannibal is, is searching to, you know, trigger to unmask, to bring up to the surface is this other Will that has been in theory suppressed. Um, so I think that's who's literally, you know, at work at that point, you know, it's it, the Will we know is suppressed and feverish and the will that could be um is is giving him the the impetus to to you know go after abel gideon in a way yeah you think that like you think that um you think that that it's not paranormal or supernatural you think it's just will's shadow self can see It, it is this it is this very a vivid personification of an aspect of will. So I just, I think it's an aspect of will that, that he is calling on at that moment that he doesn't recognize in himself. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I don't think, I don't think will's gift has stopped. I think he still sees what the, the Gideon through like where Gideon would be in this case, probably watching mm -hmm. to see what happens at a distance. I think he understands Gideon's brain because he empath and this is just you know he's a broken down person but on another level that part of him is still working and yes. so he's following that um he might be in the moment confused about it but he he's kind of just reacting as he normally would and without like um like a conscious barrier to be like hey maybe this is unsafe and i should let somebody else come with me like he's he's tracking that sort of instinct that he has mm -hmm. to see in the minds of uh of serial killers um, and I think that's what we're seeing play out with the stag, and at least in this scene, is that a sort of representation of that—that that he's kind of caught in this constant state of dreaming, uh, as we've kind of seen build up in his. Uh, like we're with him now as he loses consciousness. We're just following him and seeing what that looks like in it to a degree. Um, for me, I've always kind of thought of this show as being very. Um, it's very, it's so surreal um, to the point that it feels almost alien. Like it's taking place in like a parallel universe. Um, yeah. not, so that not all of the rules of our world necessarily apply to the world of Hannibal. Um, I've always kind of had that general feeling about it, but this time watching through seeing these seeing these things, I just kind of started feeling like in this world of Hannibal, which is not our world, it's like not quite our world anyway. It's like, is it, is it possible that there are, you know, other forces that are at work here? Um, which was why I wanted to pose the question. Kelly, Sue, you kind of like didn't really answer it. <laughs> I think that's definitely 
I think that definitely, yes, it's both. Mm. So the stag in this context is very patronusy to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, at first, he thinks, oh, that's the energy of a supernatural being. In, in this case, <laughs> Harry Potter's yeah. death. <laughs> and then he finds out it was just me the mm. whole time, right? Yeah. So it's like, is the stag an entity? Yes. Mm-hmm. But is it just will also? Yes. Because even yeah. if it was supernatural, supernatural elements only exist to whoever is observing them. Mm. So even so, if I were to sit here and see a ghost, be like, oh man that's a fucking ghost. <laughs> Somebody else is going to be like, I don't see shit. You're crazy. <laughs> right? Well, Doesn't you- change the fact that I see the ghost. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really like, you. It's me. The ghost is ultimately me or a figment oh, of I see. that I'm projecting. Mm. You see what I mean? Like, right. I do so many of these types of like horror stories and all of that kind of um that sort of storytelling is really to me a way that we as human beings try to integrate darker sides of us Mm. by pushing them outside of us does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah so i feel like the stag is like will's actual shadow that he's disassociating from. Mm-hmm. Disassociating is a psychology word. Yes, <laughs> very, very good. Um, I've just had like Kelly two, two additional thoughts because I'm starting to think of this, this point that you brought up, Lisa, as being really, really significant about our understanding of Hannibal. Or I think better put maybe about how audiences should view Hannibal because a just right off the bat the, the question of something being supernatural supernatural for me being someone who is a proponent of science and the scientific method right like the supernatural is just something that we don't quite understand yet right there's mm-hmm. there's a scientific explanation for everything that will is experiencing we don't understand it yet is it is this it is something that is beyond what we currently understand about how the brain works. That's fascinating to me. But B, you're you're edging in a, a or you're edging up to you know a place of kind of saying that that this world or when you say that the Hannibal's world, the world in this show, is not our world. I think it's very important that audiences remember that, kind of in the same way that. You know, if you watch the John Wick movies, you have to, you just have to understand that those take place in this fairy tale land of, of hired assassins, right? Where the rules of society and physics and a whole bunch of other things just don't operate the way our world does. The world of serial killers and law enforcement and profilers in Hannibal is not the way serial killers and law enforcement and profilers work in the real world in the real world a little bit (laughs) yeah not even close right in the real world serial killers are not successful because they're 
Hannibals who are just like superhumanly capable of doing what it is they're doing. And the law enforcement is not a bunch of extraordinarily well-resourced, uh, uh, highly trained individuals who are doing the right thing all the time and are it just, you know, really scary and they're going to catch you, right? Like law enforcement in our world is, you know, they're the kind of law enforcement that lets Jeffrey Dahmer go like two or three times before, you know, they figure out or oh, he's the very recent string of massive fuck ups. Well, yeah, you just name anything. Yeah, um, and profiling is not a thing. Profiling is not obviously anything like what Will does in the show, but it's not even like what it's depicted to be in most other serial killer shows with profilers, right? Like it's- So are you also saying that being a resident in a hospital is not what it's like on Grey's Anatomy? No, it's not. This is not reality. And I know we get that, but I think to some no, degree- but it's like- yeah, beyond that, I mean, beyond the standard, like, oh, it's a TV show, it's not real. Beyond that, it's yeah. like it goes a little beyond even the on reality of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Acknowledging like something, acknowledging else. how this show has and other shows like it have kind of reshaped our assumptions about serial killers and and true crime and all of that other stuff. I think is an important thing to do. But yeah, anyway. All right. Um, with that, let's go to a quick break. We will be back soon to talk about stuff and dead bodies. See you in a minute. And we're back. You guys, Hannibal was such a fucker in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> He's been so naughty. Oh my. So he can, not so only funny. does he continue to cultivate Will's supposed insanity, he then sends Abel Gideon to murder Alana as bait. If this behavior was coming from any other character on the show, we would be like, what a fucking piece of shit. So my question is what kind of insanity is Hannibal cultivating in us? that we can't stop rooting for him. It is sexiness. Really, is that all it is? <laughs> what it is for me. Yeah. Well, it's intelligence, which yeah. is also sexy. Every time I see Maz Mikkelsen in this show, my soul leaves my body. Mm. And I think to myself, I would die for you. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, all right. I mean, is that your <laughs> response to that question? Look, I mean, when we see a character who embodies things that we respect and we collectively, the, the popsicle, you know, mm -hmm. we respect intelligence. Mm -hmm. We respect charm. Mm -hmm. And we also respect a certain lack of giving a fuck. And that's Hannibal to a T. Hannibal didn't give a shit. Do you know what I'm saying? And we like that about him. I mean, I, I, I'm going to hate to compare us to these people, but it's like Trumpers. Trumpers, they mm. love Donald Trump no matter what he does. And it's because they respect, he embodies certain things, a certain 
willingness to say fuck you to people he doesn't like and they like they, they get off on that shit and it doesn't matter what horrible things he does we are Hannibal Trumpers totally <laughs> well and the difference between Hannibal and Trumpers is that Hannibal is like equal opportunity mm-hmm. he is gonna go just as hard at bad at bad guys as he is at people that we would say are good guys you know mm-hmm. he's like not afraid to really um let it all rain down on assholes <laughs> that's that's how we are i guess that's and i guess that's, that's how we maybe are. that's that's kind of that's kind of yeah that it's like because for me it's like it's not just that he is you know handsome and smart i'm like there are plenty of handsome smart charming characters that i actually don't like though don't ask me to name them right now but i know that they're there (laughs) you can think so i'm like but what but i'm like what else is there and i mean like i know it's like okay so the enemy of my enemy like so he kills assholes um but it's not like Dexter level where he's like killing other killers. I mean, I guess he does that sometimes if he's put in the position to, but mostly he's just kind of killing people who were like, you know, rude to him one time. But these we also-, also are not like, they're not these high level offenses where it's like, yeah, can't wait to see him fucking kill that guy, cut him in half. Um, so I, that's why I wanted to like dig into or it. Or seems to. Hannibal loves we we all are aware of Hannibal's, you know, Hannibal has a real, he feels a connection to Will, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, he, th- there is a great deal of affection for Will. He, he holds on to that. I mean, he talks about it, you know, he sees an opportunity yeah. for friendship, even as he fucks Will over, you know, because well, that's how he's Hannibal like treats Because he's testing Will. You know? Like yeah. he's, like um, Bedelia said in an earlier episode, like you want to see if he's clever enough to scale your walls to scale your walls yeah uh, he's and... more than testing he's driving will i mean we like we we've talked about the uh the difference between literal psychic driving and, and what he's doing but that that connection is made again in this episode yeah mm-hmm. you're right again like again and at the end i would even say because will is in a state of mind in which his brain is breaking down we are getting to literal psychic driving He's literally lying to him in a, in a state of mental uh, exhaustion and confusion and putting ideas in his head in, in which he can't think clearly for himself. I mean, that is on par with psychic driving right at the end of this episode. I agree. I agree. Um, and then, and, it's partly too, I think, because we see different aspects of intelligence and capability in Hannibal. He's, he's part of what we root for is his his like i've said before superhuman ability to orchestrate events right he is he is the omnipresent omniscient entity in this story and and i think as humans we just always kind of root for that because it's it's the same drive we have to deify things um but hannibal isn't just capable of you know putting plate things into like chess pieces into the right 
um, place for like this long con that he's playing, you know, to some degree. In this episode, we also see that he's highly capable of pivoting and taking a situation that suddenly presents itself to him and could have been catastrophic to, you know, his endeavors. He just very quickly pivots and turns that situation into his own he, he puppet masters it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. He takes control of things and there is something infinitely sexy and appealing it's, about yeah. the guy who is taking control of things. And I will absolutely put that out there in terms of, yes, yeah. we should be calling and him the, the, the top, the dom, the, you know, whatever. <laughs> that, yeah. The, the nonchalance of that. What did you say? What did you I say, was Ellie? checking to see if Claire called Hannibal the power top. Oh, she pretty much did, yeah. Yeah, and I feel much, like she yeah, called clearly. all of us the power bottoms. Like I was like, I'm calling myself <laughs> that. If you know, I'm I'm comfortable <laughs> saying that for myself. But if you yeah. all want to come along with me, that's fine too. So, uh, Phil, I, I think in the in the question you say if anybody else were treating Will like this we'd hate them. But if Hannibal were doing this to anybody else in the show, if you were doing this to Alana, if you, you know, and he is to some degree doing it with other characters, but if you were doing it to this degree to a different character, I, I feel like our reactions would be different as well. I don't think it's I don't the know. degree I don't know. that makes the difference. I don't know. I think it's the intent behind the manipulation. Oh, sure. Sure. That Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. I think, yeah. like, I mean, because, you know, my my kind of my personal answer to this was also kind of what Justin was getting at which is that like I mean I love sad boys I love emo boys I can't help myself so when you show me like the emotional depth behind a you know villainous character I will tend to you know fall for them Mm -hmm. and so it's like for me it was definitely like the reason I keep on feeling like good about Hannibal (laughs) is because of his love for Will Um, and because even when he's being like even when like I remember the first time I watched through this I was like what the fuck is he into Will is he trying to like destroy Will what is going on and like watching it again and then again it's like oh i see (laughs) the answer is yes like he's yeah (laughs) he's trying to change the answer is yes and it's like there's there's a specific thing he's trying to do for will Mm -hmm. i mean it's for himself but it is also like kind of for will as he Mm -hmm. sees it well and if he was doing it to alana it would basically just be phantom of the opera yeah essentially yeah so it would still be a love story so there's love involved you know yeah, it's it's the love it's the love that it's the love for that me keeps me well, that keeps the would, light on for me <laughs> i would argue that that even though we know it's not trustworthy he does exhibit outwardly a um positive you know relationships with the other people we care about in the show like we don't care about chilton and we know what he's you know we know how hannibal views chilton and and we agree with him but he for the most part in his 
interactions with Alana and Jack and the other people we care about, he is also displaying solicitude and niceness and helpfulness towards them as well. Even though we, we pretty much know that we shouldn't trust that it, Mm -hmm. that's still endearing. Yeah. Yeah. He's good at, he's good with his person suits. Uh, That's the charm part. To me, I mean, yeah, his, I think his love is interesting. I'm, I'm not going to say it's what drives me to keep watching uh, Hannibal and enjoying Hannibal and watching how he works. But I think it's just that. I think it is what, not what keeps me on his side, but what keeps me intrigued in his story is just to see how smart he's going to be, how well he's mm-hmm. going to handle every situation. Um, like Claire was pointing out, he handles that situation. Like look, the first look on his face when Will shows up with, uh, with yeah. the doctor is one of sh- like kind of shock, uh, oh. like, oh shit. Um, but immediately he goes to work. Um, mm-hmm. His killing somebody and removing the arm to let them know where Gideon's going to be is uh, oh, that was so cool. remarkably clever. Yeah. I, and that's what, like, the idea that we have a villain in this show that is so smart is what keeps me interested because I am watching and waiting to see when someone's going to catch up to him and how he's going to try to maneuver out of that. Um, mm. And that, that's what, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not, I, I, I objectively uh, hate Hannibal. Like how, you know, I, I don't, you know, but as a character, uh, he's very fucking intriguing and, and you want to, yeah. you want to see that intriguing this play out and you, you're attached to that element of the character and show. You objectively Definitely. hate Hannibal. Does that mean you actually or, hate Hannibal or does that mean that if he were I, real, object- you would, you, you find him abhorrent? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, both. I, well, of course I, I mean, because you I, don't yeah, hate subjects- Hannibal. You don't hate Hannibal, right? What, what are you trying to say, Justin? I don't think anybody else here hates Hannibal. Do you hate Hannibal? Um, like you, you don't dislike the character. You love the character. Oh yeah, right? yeah, I love the character. Right. I'm just. Yeah, I'm I love just the way the character's what you're saying because that's oh, a yeah. Oh, I was wondering what you're I objectively asking. hate Hannibal. Well, yeah, I, you know? I object. I, I and subjectively, I guess. Hey, I hate what he's doing to Will. I hate what he's doing to all the characters. But I just got through explaining that I love the character and the way he's being presented, and it's intriguing to me. So I thought I was being yeah. clear, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, I was being very clear. Am, am I not? Am I not allowed to see clarity for myself? No, not oh. at all. No, I'm, I'm. I'm happy I answered your question a second time. I objectively <laughs> objectify Hannibal. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, like yeah, as we do. yeah, um, yeah. Um, I'll just I'll just finish by saying that yes, the scene of you know the. Will showing up with Abel Gideon and having the seizure, like Hannibal's own. Uh, <laughs> yes. It is one of my favorite scenes. Um, in the whole that series. whole, like the, like the nonchalance that Hannibal has in dealing with that situation, the tenderness that he Ooh. shows Will when he's having the seizure. And then yes, the flippant, like I said, it was mild. <laughs> just, <laughs> just so, so flippant so i was good. like um yeah definitely a a high point scene so okay great work everybody fantastic let's move <laughs> I'm on i'm going to take this time to jump it's been fantastic recording with you all today as always as always here we go <laughs> adios a pleasure bye take bye. care
Um, all right. So let's move on to our next segment, Exquisite Corpse with Claire. <laughs> Exquisite corpse. Yes. Claire, tell us all about this week's body. I will. Well, they're bodies. There's there's so much going on. Um, but you know, as we like to do with every episode of Murder Husbands, we like to do a really deep dive into the glorious uh murder scene are you know that will um dives into as well we like to try to be as astute as he is um i don't know that we succeed but we'll do our best um i think the main question that was posed during will's you know voodoo investigation of abel gideon's escape from the transport van um as we've talked about already in this episode is all about identity and loss of identity and questioning identity. Um, the main question is who does, does Gideon think he, you know, really is the Chesapeake Ripper? Does he understand now that he's not, but he's trying to assume that identity? Is he trying to call out the Chesapeake Ripper is, you know, what, what is he trying to do? Um, and I think as everything does in, um, Hannibal, everything is really just, a an analogy, a, a, a way for us to understand what's going on with Will as well. Um, and so I'm curious, does this say something about how Will is identifying with Garrett Jacob Hobbs? Um, does he think he's be it does will when he's seeing um garrett jacob hobbs is he is he assuming that identity or is he is he using it in some way um and then just to start off the discussion about this particular crime scene um i just want to express my appreciation for any time we have a crime scene where the entire um, CSI team gets to be there because we get gems like, you know, one of the, the guys, uh, pointing out how beautiful the little bow ties are on the organs that are tied up. That was our friend, French Stewart, I believe who oh, delivered stop. that line. Oh, stop. Oh, stop. <laughs> I mean, you're them. never going to live it down, Philip. Sorry. <laughs> it never, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> never, but I just, those are golden moments. They're delightful. Um, mm -hmm. and I also wonder like what fictional character in their right mind at this point would ever agree to be in a transport van, albeit a prisoner transport van uh ambulance with a criminally insane dude in it because you, you're just gonna die you're gonna get shish kebobbed and killed and it's it's an immediate death sentence so um anyway thoughts about it philip i'm gonna go to you first well, i mean it's kind of like the trope in it you know any horror movie don't go down the don't say you'll be right back like what what person would ever say that you know oh right? yeah um i uh, gosh uh this is a, there's a lot of different like uh, murder scenes in this. Like, I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned all that, but there was also the fucking tongue hanging out of the guy's throat that was still moving. Yeah, it was still moving. Still moving. Oh, and, so gross. And he was annoyed I, by it. He kept like pushing yeah, it Yeah, I know. He kept so playing great. with it. I mean, oh my God. Oh my like I, I, I immediately thought of the scene in Hannibal where he's eating Grey Leota's head and how that scene did mm. not work at all. It just felt like it was gross to be gross. 
but in this scene, we're in this episode, we're given twice uh, a tongue hanging out of the throat while he's still alive, but also a man holding his own inner organs while he's still alive. And both Can scenes we were effective well? in a way that I felt Hannibal was not. Yeah. Um, because it's uh, we're presented with real stakes, real characters, and it's not just gross for grossness. It's there's an ideology behind or, or, or at least a point of view behind what's happening here with, uh, with Gideon um, that I don't think that's lost in Hannibal when he's eating his brains uh, in that scene. And so all of these scenes work on such a different level because of that, because there's something going on inside Gideon's head that he's trying to figure out, but also plays into the fact that, as, as mentioned in the episode so many times, he's scrambling the people that scrambled him. <laughs> like it's uh, such heady serial killer stuff going on. Um, like, I don't know if a serial killer ever puts this much thought into actually, as Claire was talking about in real life. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty so exquisitely well handled in this show. If only the meta- there was the, metaphors. the same level of understandable villainy um, given to some of the MCU villains as there is to Abel Gideon. Because, mm. I mean, just what you mentioned, Phil, about him just wanting to, to pay back the people who have been messing with his head. Like, that's just a very basic, easy to understand, justifiable reason to become evil. And, mm-hmm. you know, I... Yeah, I get it. I mean, can we just talk as well about how unflappable freaking Freddie Lowndes is? I mean, yes. <laughs> oh, shit. Cool as a cucumber. Yeah. She comports herself. I mean, I, I get that she is kind of horrified at what she's doing, but I would have passed out like two seconds into that whole <laughs> observatory. No, I found, I found her to be very admirable in this episode. Like her, yeah. her coolness under the pressure I was like yeah I I dug it I dug how clever she was being to basically survive the exchange where she says but aren't you the Chesapeake Ripper and he goes please don't patronize me and she says I'm sorry (laughs) it's such a basic human exchange in such a weird moment and Mm -hmm. you want to talk about surreal that's pretty surreal yeah yeah it's the first time we've really seen her be honest about most stuff i think i don't know anyway just yeah well to get back to gideon for a sec just because i i was thinking about this when you were asking the questions i think that gideon thinks that he's the chesapeake ripper and knows that he's not Mm. and i think that those two conflicting things are fucking him up you know yeah and he and that's why he leaves, you know, his scene the way he does. You know, they say he's peacocking for the Ripper. That's exactly what it is. He's sending messages yeah. to the Chesapeake Ripper saying, basically saying, come and help me understand who I am. You know, not realizing that the Ripper will come and be like, oh, I'll show you. All right. You know? <laughs> all right. You know? um, well, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe even subconsciously wanting the Ripper to come and do that. Because if part of his insanity is about like he went insane because he killed his wife, maybe part of that insanity is this like latent desire to be punished, to be. Interesting. Dead. Afterwards, I, kind of, I don't I kind know. of feel like in that final moment, he almost wanted to die that that final moment yeah. between will and and uh the good doctor i i feel like he was uh, you know i 
like having your brain pulled apart that much, I think uh, to a degree that I, I imagine is beyond, like I've had my brain pulled apart a little bit in some ways, you know, we've all dealt with things like depression and different things like that or anxiety. Um, and you feel that sense, but I, he's like dealing with that. And so is Will on a very different level than what I hope to never feel. And I imagine to some degree, like uh, you just want out of it, maybe. And I felt like in that final moment, I think Gideon was perfectly okay being killed. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. the feeling I got from that moment anyway. There was a call. Yeah, that it was uh, like, he, he was like, whatever happens here, like you're gonna kill me. That's cool. I'm gonna go kill her and be killed by whoever else, be killed by the Chesapeake Ripper, be killed by, you know, law yeah. enforcement. Yeah. Like he was he was he was a little bit zombified at yeah. the very end there. Kind of like just the I'm just gonna I've I'm on this path. I'm gonna walk this path as far as the path will allow me to walk it. Yeah. You know? Um I I can definitely say that the things, the moments in my own life when I've been the most disassociated from myself, from my true yeah. self, have been caused either by extreme feelings of grief or extreme feelings of guilt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Put both of those together. Yeah. It might be what he's experiencing. I, it's interesting, Justin, too, because you, your statement of you, that you think he thinks he's the Chesapeake Ripper, but he also, he knows, knows that he's not, he's not. Yeah. it that feels very much to me like characters who i have encountered in stories where the character has become displaced um in time like they've and i'm thinking very specifically of of the main character in the dark tower series there's a whole section of the books where the main character the there are parallel universes happening and he takes an action that messes up the timeline for one of the characters. And so the, the character has both died and has not died in a time in one timeline and the dis dissociation that they feel until they're able to kind of merge back together that that feels kind of like what Abel Gideon if we want to talk about things being supernatural in the show that kind of feels like what this character is going through where they've had this just complete break with reality and both realities are true but physics won't allow those both of those realities to exist in the same place and so the mental illness is by definition a, a symptom of that that you know just physics is not behaving anymore for this person um that's very interesting an interesting point of view um and i'll say lastly just as far as like the actual exquisiteness of the corpses or the pieces of the corpses i'm only just realizing because he was peacocking for the Chesapeake Ripper, and forgive me if this is obvious to everybody else, but I only just realized it when we talk about like tying the organs up mm -hmm. into pretty little bows, he was gift wrapping them. Oh, yeah. Because oh, he knows the Chesapeake Ripper takes organs. Yeah, I didn't oh, for sure. put it that way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know yeah. you. It's just like, it's just giving me yeah. something there. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, Claire, for taking us through that segment.
it was fun. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Now let's get to our recommendation segment. Um, So if you enjoyed roti, what else will the people enjoy? Phil, let us know. So I, I really love this movie. Um, This was not one of my first or my early introductions to uh, Bong Joon-ho, a Korean director who just did Parasite that won best foreign language film and best picture at the Oscars, which was amazing. Um, One of his first movies is called Memories of Murder, uh, which just became available again. And it's uh, two cops tracking down a serial killer, two cops that are very bad at their jobs, very different from this, Um, but it is a deeply moving and disturbing and hilarious movie um, that I think is very much in the milieu of, or the wheelhouse of how the kind of movies he directs. And he did Mother, which is also absolutely genius uh, uh, of, a, of a mother trying to figure out if her son, her uh, uh, disabled son uh, actually murdered somebody or not. And it's fucking amazing. Um, but I would go back to watch Memories of Murder because it's genius filmmaking, genius storytelling. Now, the themes are complex and interesting and we could probably have a very similar sort of conversation about that movie as we are about Hannibal. So great stuff. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Thanks, yeah, Phil. It's, it's wonderful. What's it called again? Memories of Murder. I think it came out in 2003. Cool, cool, cool. And All it right. inspired the way uh, David Lynch uh, tackled Zodiac. Oh, cool. or David Fincher, uh, David Fincher yeah, like, tackled Zodiac. Yeah, okay. yeah. Wrong David came to mind. You know me and my names. They get mixed up sometimes. <laughs> well, Lynch and Fincher sound a lot alike, too. So. Yeah. There we go. It's all understandable. <laughs> um, all right. With that, we are wrapping up this episode of Murder Husbands. We are also doing a series about currently airing television series. And we are starting with Why the Last Man. Um, new episodes of that come out on Hulu every Monday. And our discussion of that episode will air every Friday. So tune in to that as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you collect podcasts. You can also follow us at Popsicle Pod on all social media platforms and sign up for our free newsletter at popsiclepod.com. That is P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Until next time, happy hunting. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.